APU. American Public University is proud to present The Everyday Scholar. Hello, my name is Dr. Bjorn Mercer, and today we're talking with James Lenvey, faculty in the School of Arts, Humanities, and Education. And our conversation today is about perceptions of higher education. Welcome, James. Hello, Bjorn. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, definitely. I love this topic. It's important to talk about. Honestly, we should always be talking about perceptions of any levels of education. And so let's go and jump in. Is there currently a perfect storm of sentiment against higher education? Or is higher education facing an existential crisis? And if not, should it be? Well, those are questions that I've been thinking about a lot lately. The reason I wanted to talk about this was because I've noticed some attitudes that are coming from sometimes from students that I have, sometimes from social media comments you might come across, and even uh, public figures making, I guess I'll say, disparaging comments about higher education and university education in general. So as I've been thinking about this, I kind of put together an argument, as, as we like to do in philosophy, and try to pull apart all the pieces. And so the pieces of any argument are going to be your premises and then your conclusion. So the conclusion in general that I'm hearing, and this would be the belief that it seems that people are voicing, has some combination of the following elements. One is that college is possibly a waste of time and money, okay, broadly speaking. Some people have been making the complaint that we culturally require college education and that those who don't have a college education maybe are treated as second-class citizens, that we're forcing out people with experience in positions that they could perfectly well serve, but we're prioritizing those with education over experience. And so there's a number of conclusions here that people seem to be coming to about what we should be thinking about as far as the goals and the direction for higher education. And so, you know, we can take this as a broad conclusion and then look at some of the premises that are built into that, that I've identified at least. And premise one would be that college is too expensive. And there's, of course, a lot of debate right now about student loan forgiveness and controlling costs of education. Another premise is that college or university education is neither necessary nor sufficient for earning a living that we can find all kinds of other ways to get into good careers without having to have a formal education in college. And then I think that kind of translates into thinking about college more as career training than the sort of broad-based liberal arts education that we often associate. A third premise would be that higher education is neither necessary nor sufficient for becoming a critical thinker or a productive member of society. And uh, a fourth premise might be that College is ultimately, and this would be a, a worst case scenario, just a front for you know, liberal indoctrination. So that's what I see as the sort of pieces that are going into this larger criticism of higher education. And those are all wonderful things to talk about. And honestly, they should be talked about. And as I have recently been 
discussing how people should talk about things. If we have disagreements, those disagreements should occur between reasonable people. You know, is higher education indoctrinating young adults? I mean, in general, I'd say no, because there are so many different colleges and universities that you can definitely choose examples from here or there and point to those. But as a whole, it's hard to say that that is the overriding experience for people. Do you find that people have strong opinions on that one, or is it mainly just something you hear, say, in the media? Well, to your point there specifically, that there's a lot of generalization that goes on in these kinds of debates. And so I think we often get started on these debates talking about very different things. And of course, if that's the case, we're not going to get very far. And that was one thing I kind of wanted to start with is thinking about the difference between college and education. And so one of the concerns about the cost of college is that it's too expensive, but are we saying that the college experience is too expensive or that education is too expensive? And I think those are two very different things. Before you go on, I love that you differentiate between college and education. College is different than education. Everyone can educate themselves or educate their family or their friends from their home, honestly. We could stay home and we could read all the great books of philosophy and never go into one classroom. However, college does provide an experience for many people. Yeah, that's something I wanted to get back to too. But the distinction between college and education that really dawned on me when I was listening to uh, Bill Maher on his HBO show not long ago, complaining about the cost of education. And he used as an example that there's a lazy river in the middle of the student center. And to him, this was just the most egregious example of college education waste uh, just the the idea that you know people want to go to college, but are they learning anything? Or are they just goofing off for four years? And so, you know, I heard that and I thought, well, if that's what people want to pay for, that's fine, and that's understandable. If if people are looking at it like, well, I don't want my tax dollars going to fund your education when your education is just four years of having a good time. You know, I noticed this too at the beginning of the pandemic. I was at that time still teaching in person, and one of the schools I was teaching for. Everybody was going online. And I noticed some students kind of complaining about that because they said, well, I don't want to do this. I want to be in college. I want to stay in the dorm. If I can't do that, let's just put this off, right? I don't want to miss that experience. And so I think we really have to separate those two ideas before we start making general or generalized statements about higher education. Now, from your experience and what you've looked at, we are now trying to educate far more students than we ever have. You know, in two generations, we've gone from, I believe, bachelor attainment being in the like the low teens now into the 30s, maybe. That is literally educating millions and millions of more students. Now, with that come costs. But at the same time, and like you said, and I agree, if students want a college education, then let them have it. But there should be options for them if they just want to get a good education that it's stripped of all of, you know, superfluous items. Yeah. And there are options, which I think is part of the reason why this argument, you know, we see a lot of oversimplification where let's just throw the baby out here with the proverbial bathwater because there's other things you can do. And I see a lot of arguments for you don't need college because you can just go to vocational school. And yes, of course, that's an option. And there are options for doing a college education in a more financially responsible way, maybe starting off a community college, for example. And this ties to my second premise here that 
college is neither necessary nor sufficient for earning a living. So you're going to learn a bunch of stuff you don't need. The stuff you do need, you can get it elsewhere. And all you're going to do is spend a lot of money to do that. And okay, that's a fair argument. That's a fair way to support this idea that college needs to be reconceived. So that would be the second premise. The third will get us into some other ideas here that college is neither necessary nor sufficient for becoming a critical thinker or productive member of society. So one of the things I did in preparing for this is to kind of collect some things that I've been seeing, some comments that people have been making in different places. And uh, I just happened to come across this Facebook user comment. I'm not going to be able to attribute authorship to this, but in general, uh, this person said, college is not needed for critical thinking. People who are inclined to think critically don't wait to be taught. College is not about thinking, it's about just getting a piece of paper. And that to me ties to this idea that what I've been calling DIYism, which is just, we can do this ourselves. There's enough information now on the internet. There's nothing that I'm going to learn in college that I can't learn elsewhere, either if we're talking about on-the-job training or if we're talking about being productive members of society. I think there's a belief that a lot of it's just common sense. You can't teach that in college anyway. And if it's something specific, I can go figure that out myself. And there's no reason that I can see to pay for that and certainly not to pay tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that. So those are the three main premises. And I think if you put all those together, it does make for a compelling argument. What exactly the conclusion is, I'm not sure. I don't know what people are really suggesting. Should we just shut down every college and university? I don't, I don't think that would make much sense. I don't hear, unfortunately, a lot of really good productive suggestions for how we move forward with this in this sort of more broad public debate. No, and those are great. And, and I just want to make a comment about the critical thinking aspect, because you don't need to go to college to become a good critical thinker. People whom have lived a longer and read and experienced will gain those critical thinking skills. You know, I think of my own critical thinking skills at 18 to 22, at that age when I went to a traditional undergraduate experience, and I needed to experience things. I needed to be exposed to different people. And ideally, if you have that college experience where we're talking about going to a physical campus and say living there and walking to classes. Ideally, you're going to be exposed to different people from different parts of the country or different parts of the world and different cultures. And then going on to the whole liberal aspect of college, in my own experience, I can think of maybe one professor who had a little too liberal ideas and then talked about him a little too much. But most professors I know, and especially the way I do it, I'm excited to talk about issues and then for the class to not know if I'm a liberal or a conservative or whatever. And that's like my goal and my job to be like, I'm going to be as unbiased as possible to not sway anybody. That's something that happened to me a few years ago. I had a student come to me early in the course and say, I'll admit I am a political conservative and I'm concerned about taking your class because I don't want to get a bad grade. As though I'm just going to superimpose, presumably, that I would have liberal values. I'm going to superimpose those and make students conform. And if they don't, then that's just going to translate into a bad grade. And, you know, the student said, I've had friends who are also conservatives and they got bad grades just because of their beliefs. I said, well, maybe uh, that's happened, but that shouldn't. And I know that wouldn't happen in my case. And, and I think that jibes with what you said, that that's not our job. Right. And from a college administration perspective, if somebody was given a grade because of their, quote, beliefs, they could file a grievance and that could be investigated because that is not 
education. If they have beliefs and they support those beliefs with good ideas and facts and figures and a really good argument, they'll get a great grade. Even if it's different than, say, what the other portions of you know students are talking about. I think this is where like information literacy comes in and civility because, again, people can be liberal, they can be conservative, they can be anarchist. I don't care. Just support what you say. We are all human too, and it is hard sometimes to separate those things. And so if you know, we have a student, for example, who wants to just kind of rail against vaccination or something like that, you have to kind of take a breath and say, okay, it's not what I agree with, but let's look at what's really being said and, and pull the arguments apart. And that's really what critical thinking is about. And so we have to stick to that if we want to be sort of academically honest. So now my next question, what do these attitudes and arguments imply for all education, say primary and secondary? So I had a conversation with a friend sometime last year, and his concern had to do with something we've already talked about, where folks in his industry were maybe being passed up for promotions because college graduates were coming in with no experience but a piece of paper. And that seemed really unfair. And that's certainly a very understandable concern. And so I started thinking about that. And I started thinking about what really is the value of education? Is it more valuable than experience? And would it really make sense for businesses and industry to set up these criteria and say, to be eligible for this position, you have to have a bachelor's degree, no matter how much experience you have. Really what that got me thinking about was what level of education do we need for a lot of jobs? As I think I mentioned, some people have kind of expressed the idea that they're maybe treated as second-class citizens because we have a cultural emphasis on having a college education. And if you don't have that, you haven't really done the basics to meet some level of involvement in society somehow, right? But we've been doing that for a long time with just having a high school diploma. In a lot of sense, people are sort of marginalized based on that, where you can't get a job if you don't have at least that much education. But thinking about it a little further, I thought, well, how much education do we really need for a lot of the jobs that people do? And I thought, I don't know, many people could get away with middle school education. If you can read at a certain level and do arithmetic, you can get by in a lot of jobs. And maybe there'd be a little more you need to know that could be taught on the job. But if we're going to say that higher education is too much education, so to speak, or too much of the wrong kind of education, I would say make the same argument for a high school education. Why stop at college? Today, we're speaking with James Lenvey, and we'll be right back after a short break. At American Public University, we believe that everyone should have access to a great education. It's not a privilege reserved for the few. And we believe higher education must come with lower tuition. Because when more doors open, more lives change. American Public University, within reach, without limits. Online classes start every month. Learn more at AmericanPublicU.com. And we're back with James Lenvey, and let's get back to the conversation. And I love that you brought this up because all of education and the purpose of education should really be discussed. And the stratification of grade levels, and I would say many politicians' obsession with we have to compete on the world's you know level. It's very difficult to educate millions and millions of people. 
versus, for example, educating Denmark or Finland or even Taiwan, which is you know obviously larger than those countries, where the population is homogeneous. That's a good point. And tied to this idea of where we want to set this sort of societal minimum of education, if some of the complaints, especially about going back to the student loan crisis, if we're worried about using tax money to bail people out, so to speak, or even to subsidize higher education, the same argument could be made for why are tax dollars going to teach high school? If an eighth grade reading level is really the minimum, why don't we just cut it off there and then make high school also sort of the same model as college, where if you want that education, you can pay for it, but that's not going to be a social responsibility. You know, uh, the structure we have has been around for several generations. And once a structure is put in place, especially by the government, it's very difficult to get rid of. And so we have elementary and middle school slash junior high and high school. And to change anything is very difficult. And so could we go more towards a trade organization, you know, like in Europe, where high school is more of a trade route than, quote, high school, in which high school you only learn the basics? I mean, high school should be a good liberal education. But then so often students, when they go to college, the first two years of college is just catching up to where they should be, quote, should be. But then again, we're trying to educate millions and millions of people in this country. And the disparity, unfortunately, comes between rich districts and poor districts and rich areas and poor areas. Yeah. And, you know, that could actually be a benefit perhaps, you know, when we try to define what education is, I happened to come across an, an interview with, I don't know if you know this, I guess she's a rapper. Her name is, she goes by Bad Bobby. So for whatever reason, I found this interview with her and they asked her, you know, you took yourself out of school, right? And she said, yeah, I, I don't recall what grade it was, but she stopped attending school and she said, I had better things to do. I knew enough. I knew how to read. I didn't know how to do division, she said, but you have calculators for that. And as it turns out, maybe she was right. I mean, she ended up making millions of dollars as an artist or as a pop figure. And my concern is that young kids hear that kind of stuff. And then they're going to say, what am I doing in school? How is that going to translate into attitudes about education? And then similarly, I have a friend who has a young son who kind of expressed to me, I know everything I need to know already in seventh grade. And what I want to do with my life, I don't need any more education. And now, of course, these are kids. And, uh, you know, I thought the same thing when I was learning algebra in school. What am I going to do with this in my life? Uh, we maybe all thought that. But that same kind of idea is now being expressed by adults who are questioning the education system. It really makes me think of, you know, when you said about the seventh grader, that is a young age. It also makes me think of 18 to 22-year-olds that we hear sometimes where they think they know everything. And there is something universal about humans, especially 18 to 22-year-olds, where they think they know everything. The older generation is a sellout. And we see the world clearly. And I remember being the exact same way when I was young. All of these sellouts. And then as you get older, you kind of realize why the world is the way it is. And it's not that it's right. It's not that it's fair. But you start seeing the structures for what they really are. And when you're 18 to 22, and it's not that you're wrong, but there's a certain amount of wisdom you still have to acquire and live that you get that comes with critical thinking. And again, when I think of critical thinking, I think, you know, when you learn that skill and those skills, that that lifelong skill, it's something that never ends. Yeah. And 
this kind of ties to something else I was thinking about in terms of what we might call the democratization of knowledge. And I hate to hang this on the internet again, because this just sounds like, oh, we're, we're defaulting back to blaming the internet for everything. But I saw a you know, brief quote from Larry Sanger, who I guess is co-founder of Wikipedia back in 2012. He said, I'll quote this, professionals are no longer needed for the bare purpose of the mass distribution and information and the shaping of opinion. And what does he mean by needed? Okay, is that a descriptive term where he's saying, we're just going to go ahead and rely on what we can find on the internet? Or is that a more normative prescriptive term where he's saying, we just need to get rid of professionals and so-called experts because we can amass this information on the internet and everybody can get to it and everybody can be an expert. I would edit that statement that says experts are no longer required. They're still needed in many different situations. But yeah, like Wikipedia, I mean, it's a wonderful service that, quote, experts aren't always putting it together. But experts are required in many other aspects. And with information literacy, well, part of information literacy is rests on authority. Are people who have authority in contents and subjects required? Well, ideally, because then they've put in the time, they put in potentially education, or just they have the wisdom that allows them to speak with authority. And of course, one of the issues with the internet is anybody can start talking about an issue and they might sound persuasive, but they have no authority. And so it's very difficult to figure out who can I trust if I don't know who's the authority in this you know, matter. Right. Sometimes I think of that as what we might call everyman punditry, where everybody's an expert just because you're on air. <laughs> That's all it takes. Um, and back to your point about kids thinking they know everything. I think that idea is even reinforced by this sort of pseudo-intellectualism out there. We see figures like, as I mentioned, Bill Maher, um, Joe Rogan, even somebody like, I would say, Jordan Peterson, trained in psychology, but promoting philosophical views, opinions. I feel under the guise of doing this as a psychologist. But I think one thing that ties all of those kinds of figures together, not just this idea that they can be looked up to as models of people who don't necessarily need a formal education or an education in some particular area, is that they're not associated with what I call the education industrial complex. Now, of course, I found out that this was actually a term that's been used before, but it's sort of this reverse snob appeal where you 1% of the so-called educated are going to tell us, the people, what's right and what's wrong, even not morally, but just non-morally as well. But look, we can do this. We have all these intellectuals on air uh, with great ideas, and they're leading a lot of people and swaying popular opinion. And who are these people? Often stand-up comedians. I've been saying for a long time that stand-up comedians are the new philosophers. That's where people are going to get their ideas about culture and society. And, you know, they're putting forth a lot of sometimes interesting arguments, sometimes not very interesting or very good, but they are now, those kinds of entertainers are at the a center of what I would call public philosophical discourse. I completely agree. And, you know, those people whom are on, on air or even dominate the internet, they're charismatic or interesting or they're combative. And so they get clicks versus if you have a disagreement between reasonable people, that's not as exciting because then two people have a great conversation and they might disagree. And at the end of the day, they still smile and, ha you know, and have a nice handshake. And so much of the media today is due to clicks and economics just making money. 
that really reasonable and well thought out positions aren't always possible. And so absolutely wonderful conversation today, James. Uh, Any final words? Well, yeah, I just, I mean, I think we touched on a lot of things, but one of my questions has been, if there's sort of a crisis, if there's like a growing sentiment against higher education or university education, I guess we could say, what can higher education do as a collective to kind of counter that? And one thing you alluded to, focusing on reasonable arguments. And I think that getting people to see that we can, part of the college experience is being in a place where we can have reasoned debate is itself a really important social function. Elon Musk recently with this whole, I'm going to buy it, but I'm not going to buy a Twitter escapade, talked about that he wanted Twitter to be a public square of sorts. But there's a danger in social media when you have a sort of unfettered, unregulated, unstructured place to just bicker. And in a college format, if we're doing it right, we can do that differently. We can do it in a way where people are respectful, where people are really actually listening to each other. Hopefully we can do that. And that alone could be a real benefit if we're doing that in college courses and students can get that benefit from it. So absolutely wonderful conversation today, James. And today we're speaking with James Lenvey about the perceptions of higher education. My name is Dr. Barrett Mercer, and thank you for listening. For more information about our university, visit us at studyatapu.com. APU. American Public University.